And let me, let me ask you a question. I was going to have someone call me right now um, to pick up my phone to, to demonstrate this point. The, the reality of it is, is that um, how many of you are sick and tired of getting scam calls on your cell phones? Um, it is, yeah, two hands. <laughs> it has gotten ridiculous uh, to the point to where probably three quarters or more of the calls that I get... I now ignore. If you call me and I don't answer, don't be offended. I just ain't got your number saved, okay? Leave a message or just send a text right after it and I'll get right back to you. But it's just not worth my time to sit and explain that I really don't need a car warranty. Uh, to sit and explain that I really don't want to put solar panels on my house. Or to go through the hassle of, of someone telling me that, that, that a lien has been put against me. And unless I go to Walmart and buy gift cards and then give them the numbers to the gift cards, I'm going to get arrested. Right? And, and we laugh about it because some of these things are so silly. But the reality of it is, is that, that such scams keep going on and on because there are individuals who will fall for it. And that unlikely hope of that one fool keeps my phone ringing nonstop. The reality of it is, is that there are those who do the same thing in the name of Christ. There are charlatans and scammers. There are false teachers and fools. There are those who will seek to uh, use the name of God, the things of God, the name of Christ, the um, reputation of the church or the reputation of a teacher for their own reasons, for their own gain, to try to scam others of true spiritual things, of true spiritual meaning, to try to scam good-hearted folk that love Jesus out of their money. And it's been happening for quite some time. In the New Testament, we read about this in many places. We're going to see a text today where this is apparent. We, we all know of Jesus' warning about wolves in sheep's clothing on the bulletin today. That's kind of what is emphasized there. Some of you looked at it and said, this is the oddest Palm Sunday bulletin I've ever seen. I get that. <laughs> But the reality of it is, is that, that I want to take from this text today and I want, to, um, I, I want to offer a warning as the text does, but also look at the concept because in our own hearts, sometimes the heart of the matter is, are we living for God's glory or are we living for our glory and using God to get it? Are we truly living for God or are we living for ourselves and using God? And there are plenty examples of this. There are plenty examples of, of charlatans and, and fakesters and, and individuals that are just looking for money and use the name of God. And, and some of them are very popular. Unfortunately, because Christianity often is, fails at discerning the truth from the false, these individuals show up on top ten Christian book lists. I still remember back when such a thing as Christian bookstores existed. We'd go to the Christian bookstore in Louisville, me and a friend, and, and we'd go through the, the bookstore and we'd just turn a lot of books around. <laughs> because there was not just differences of opinion, but a different gospel. 
Come to Jesus so you can get rich. Come to Jesus so that your ailments can get healed. Uh, speak things into being. God has given you the power to speak things into being as he speaks things into being. You see, the problem of modern-day televangelists and faith healers goes all the way back to the establishment of the early church. The idea of individuals who would use God for their own glory, for their own gain, instead of humbly submitting to God and seeking to live lives to glorify Him, that, that goes all the way back to the preaching of the apostles, as we see here in this text today. If you would, look with me at Acts chapter 19. And we're going to begin in verse 11. This is God's word. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that he touched to his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Scevia were doing this. But when the evil spirit answered them, but the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, Paul I recognized, but who are you? And then the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord was extolled. And many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they continued, they counted the value of all of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You have to imagine that this is one of the favorite stories of young boys in the early church talking about the day that those exorcists came and the demon, the, the man with the demon whooped them and they ran around naked. <laughs> I mean, what, a, what an incredible little par insight that we have, this periscope here, into the life of the early church and into the life of Paul. And, and, and what I, the reason I think Luke puts this in here is because he wants to draw... This distinction about the question, are you living your life to glorify God or are you using God to glorify yourself? Are you living your life to glorify God or are you using God to glorify yourself? And the same paradigm, the same reason that, that Luke included this here for the early church, this account of what happened with, in Ephesus with these uh, false healers is because it has been a problem that has existed throughout all of the church. And whether or not we try to um, go around and, and faith heal individuals in our own power and, 
and milk good Christian folk for all of their pennies. Or if we just have a view of Jesus that says, I'll pray to him when I need something. And he'll give it to me. You know, for many Christians even, they view God as a magic genie. If I just get religious for a little bit, if I go to church for a little bit, if I give a little bit, if I, if I just pray a little bit and I, I just rub that genie, maybe it'll work and God will give me something. I want to propose to you that that's very different than what genuine faith looks like. A genuine faith that, that comes to knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ and, and views Jesus as Lord of all. That, that realizes I need to repent of my sins and follow Christ and I need to seek in my life to serve others and glorify God. That looks very different than magic genie Jesus, doesn't it? It looks very different. So that's the distinction I want to draw this morning is we should live in such a way if we've come to faith in Jesus Christ that we seek in all that we do to glorify God. And, and, and I'll tell you this, if, if you live your life as Jesus Christ is your Lord and you seek to serve him and, and seek to do the things of God and, and, and seek to be used by God, God will do extraordinary things through your efforts and through your life. But that's very different than realizing that if this is what happens, unfortunately, so often throughout the week. People will knock on the door of the church. And, and, and they might smell like they've been boozing it up for a month. And when they knock on the door of the church and they get in front of the pastor, they are the most holy person when they recount their life that's ever lived. Because they think that if they will lie to me, that I'll give them money. And you see, it's so easy for us to live like that, to use God for our own gain in one way or another. And so that's the distinction that I want us to see in this text. So two really simple points. The first point is this. Let's see a faith that seeks to use God. A faith that seeks to use God. What does that look like? What does that look like from this text? The situation, again, is not whether or not God will bless and save people to co who come to him genuinely. God will save anyone, anywhere, any place, from any background who comes to place their faith in Jesus Christ, who comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus, who repents of their sins and trusts in Christ and follows Christ as their Lord and Savior. For any person, anywhere that's committed any sin, Jesus saves. Amen? All right, wake up, church, because that's an amen moment. Any place, anywhere, any sin, if you come to Jesus in genuine faith, you will be forgiven. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. That's why Jesus goes to the cross on Friday and God raises him from dead on Sunday to confirm that that message, that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus saves. That's not what's in question here. What's in question here is when we see individuals who have some kind of teaching about Jesus, who have been associated in some way with the things of God, 
that have seen the, the power of God in lives that transform people. And they think, man, that Jesus stuff works. Hey, do you know the market value of Christians and all the Jesus junk that they'll buy? I need some of that. And we see this all the time in one way or another. The issue here, really at heart, is who is Lord? Is Jesus Lord or am I Lord? Is Jesus Lord and I'm going to submit my life to him? Or do I want to live in such a way that I'm Lord and I can use Jesus to benefit myself? It's a hard issue. We talk about false teachers throughout the New Testament. We talk about, about those who, uh, who are fake, faith healers. We talk about those who are charlatans in our world today. And, and there are plenty of them. All you have to do is just watch the news cycle of big church after big church. It's very famous who it comes out that the pastors of the church have been abusive, who, who they have been sexually immoral. I mean, have you paid attention to the news and seen this over and over and over again? And these people, and, and the most of them, from the ilk that they come from, it's really not a big surprise. Because it was pretty obvious that the whole time, their ministry was just based on using God for their own glory. There's three things that I want to show you here that we see in this text that are true for these sons of Sceva, and they're true for what we see today about a, a faith that seeks to use God. First, it uses God's name for financial gain. It uses God's name for financial gain. These false prophets went around from town to town, and, and this was common during this time. I, I want you to realize this, is that as, as Jesus went around with his disciples... He wasn't the only teacher, religious teacher, that would go around with disciples into towns. In fact, it was quite common. That's why when Jesus would walk into a town, the people would often recognize him with his disciples, and they would call him rabbi, teacher. It wasn't uncommon during this time that there were uh, religious faith healers of the day. There were individuals who were false teachers who would go around and, and who would try to make a profit putting on some kind of a show, putting on some kind of an act. And, and then they would move from town to town doing this. And so as Paul is here in Ephesus, these individuals come in and they are uh, they, they have some kind of stick, they have some kind of, uh, of incantation, they have some kind of thing, and it seems to be somewhat legitimate. This is a side note. Spiritual things are real. Spiritual darkness is real. Spiritual principalities are real. I know we live in America in the 21st century, and we think if we can't touch it, feel it, or put it in our pocket, it's not real. But the reality of it is, is that such spiritual things are real. And throughout history, as you look at the cultures, you will see that there are individuals in cultures who have learned in some way to, to tap into something of the spiritual realm of spiritual power. Satan is real. Demons are real. These individuals would go around and, and they would look for opportunities where they might do some kind of faith healing, some kind of exorcism. And of course, the, the real issue is, is that they get money for it. 
They get money for it. That's what they're trying to do. And, and so Luke here calls them. He says their father is Sceva, a, a Jewish priest. They're the seven sons of Sceva. We don't know a lot about this guy. We don't know if he was a, uh, uh, actually these were his seven sons or they were his seven disciples that he sent out. They're, they're recognized. They have a, a name for themselves. And they, they come here into Ephesus. And they're looking for an opportunity that they can make money on spiritual things. And they see what's happening with Paul. And they're amazed. Very much like the spiritual power that Jesus had amazed people. Here, Paul, people are, people are taking his sweat rags. And they're taking it to people and they're being healed. And these guys come into town, they've never seen anything like this before. And they're thinking, this Paul guy, yeah, he's got something figured out that we don't know yet. And so they decide they're going to give it a try. They decide that they are going for financial gain. They're going to add a, a new thing to their trick. And they're going to try to tell a demon to come out of somebody, I love this, by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. They didn't believe in Jesus. They had no true spiritual power. They just saw that Paul did. They were doing this all for financial gain. Now here's a reality. The Bible says that the church is to support elders who rule well for their labors amongst the church. The, the Bible says that evangelists and missionaries who go out, they have the right to be supported by their labors. But that's very different than a, a ministry that's driven by such a way that the pastor works on commission or the pastor then figures out other ways that he can raise extra money by doing additional spiritual things. You know, there was one time that a, uh, a church contacted me years ago and um, they, uh, they said, you know, we've heard about you. We're very interested. We'd like for you to consider the position. I said, okay. He said, we're trying to be really innovative. And, um, and, and what we're going to do to make it fair for you and to, to have the church, you know, grow, we want the church to grow, is that um, we're just going to set a, a fixed commission rate of, the, um, of the, the, the tithes and offerings that come in. And then the, the pastor, you'll get that. And so you're, you're earning is unlimited. What do you think? I said, whoever convinced you to do this, you should get off of that committee immediately. I said, the, you're facing one of two situations. One, the poor sucker that falls for this and finds out the church isn't going to do anything to help him. It's all up to you, Pastor. You get a commission. Or number two, you get a guy that really likes this idea and does anything to put more money in his pocket. See, that's not the way that the church is supposed to work. And, and I want to warn you of these individuals that, that go out in the name of Christ, that are not tied to any kind of local church ministry. They have their own ministries. Any, any church that's named after the guy preaching, you should run away from that.
They use the internet. You know, they used to use television, right? The televangelists. Now they can use the internet. And they will, they will pray over you, over you and everyone else. And, and you can send them their money. They'll never know you. They'll never pastor you. They'll never counsel you. They'll never weep with you. That's not what Christian ministry is to look like. And yet, these things are growing exponentially in our day. We see here, they're motivated by financial gain. They're, they're absolute hucksters. I mean, I don't know if you've had much experience with this, but when I was in, when I was in seminary, some fool sent prayer handkerchiefs to every P.O. box at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, including all the professors. I mean, it was the funniest thing for a week. These prayer handkerchiefs, that, that the, there was instructions with it, you know, and if you, if, you, if you put your hand on it and you said a prayer, you can make a bold prayer and God is going to answer that prayer as long as you take the self-addressed stamp prepaid envelope and put in a donation to send back to the ministry. When he receives that ministry, then he will allow your prayer to be answered. We laugh. But I would not want to be that man on the day of judgment. But such have always been and always will be until Jesus returns. Be careful. It's like, that, it's like that spam call that you get. Be careful when you get the thing in the mail. <laughs> Please, there are TV channels that you just need to not watch, even though they seem like they're religious things. It's the sons of Skevia in modern day times. You know, the, and, and they're sneaky. They will send, they will send their appeals timed to when Social Security checks are passed out. Looking for elderly people that just got a little money in the bank, that are barely getting by, who they promise if you give us some money, we'll increase it fivefold, tenfold, hundredfold. And thus, steal from the poorest people in our country, steal from the poorest people in the earth, so that they might fly around in private jets and Stay in five-star hotels and have millions of dollars. Such exists. We need to be careful. The second thing that we see is a, is a false faith. Faith is one who uses God's name for their own purposes. Uses God's name for their own purposes. These exorcists weren't, they, they didn't care to trust in Christ. They didn't care to even know who Jesus was. They just saw that Paul preached like this and it worked. It really worked. So there must be some power there. We're going to try that out because it works. Friends, the idea of pragmatism is rife within the American church. It is rife within the American church. This desire to do whatever works God has given us his word. The, the, the word of Christ, the word of God, is what is to rule the church. As a pastor, as one who's called under the authority of Christ and, and called by a church to lead a church, my primary calling and my primary accountability before the Lord 
is that I have sought the Lord's will, I have sought the Lord's word, and we have tried to follow as best as we can to be obedient to what Christ has commanded. And yet there's a lot of churches that go, you know what? That just doesn't work anymore. People aren't excited about the Bible. People aren't excited about Christian music. Let's go see what the world has. Let's go catch on the newest fad. You know what the church really needs? Jesus needs good PR and good marketing. You want to get people into a church? <clears throat> Give away a boat. You laugh, but there's churches that do this. Should I really get in trouble? All right. It's Easter. How many churches, the biggest draw they have to get people to come to church on Easter is five bazillion Easter eggs. Have we forgotten that we have the gospel? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Now, events are good. We can do great things, but there's, there's so many that they trust in pragmatism. They, they trust in their marketing. They trust in using the things that the world likes, and they make the church like the world. And so many churches are ruled by this idea that our worship should be minimally Christian. Did you catch that? The irony of that, our worship should be minimally Christian. Get rid of crosses. Don't, don't pray very much, because that's boring. People don't like that. Play secular music, because that's what people, you know, that's what they'll listen to anyways. Don't really preach the Bible. Come on. Give a TED Talk. and Let's talk about feelings. Let's talk about ten ways to be a, a good husband. Let's, let's talk about how to be a better man, how to be a better woman, how to be a better wife. Let's, let's do uh, psychological kind of sermons and, and get away from the gospel. Don't ever preach a bloody cross. Ooh. Don't sing about blood and death. Some of you are looking at me funny. You can't believe it. But I promise you, there's churches in this very community that that is what is shaped the concept of worship, pragmatism, the world. And yet we've been called to preach and teach and honor Jesus. We've been called to, to, to know the scriptures and to do the scriptures. We, we've been called that, that this place as we gather together, what does Jesus indict the people the week of the passion of Easter when he goes into the temple? This is supposed to be a place of prayer. We often will try to use God for our own purposes, whether it's in a religious setting, whether it's an individual setting. I mean, this is the heart of the issue. In your life, are you committed? Are you committed to glorifying God? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Or do you view Jesus Christ as your magic genie? Every once in a while, I'll come to him. I'll rub that bottle. I'll get what I need. 
He's good to hang on to. Friends, Jesus is Lord. The, the last thing that we see here is that uh, a faith that seeks to use God uses God's likeness to engage in the occult. And, and the occult means um, the supernatural, the mystical. We don't have a lot of this today as much as other places do because, again, in America, we're, we're, we're very pragmatist. We're very materialistic. What we can see and touch, we don't think about spiritual things as we should in the culture. But the reality of it is that these uh, individuals here, not only, the, not only the, 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 the sons of Scythia, but the people were involved in the occult, in other gods, in magic practices. Did you catch that? They, they come to a realization that, that, that God is real, that Jesus is real, and that Jesus is Lord. And the, the Jesus that Paul preaches, demons even are afraid of. And they come and they, they, they burn their books. They, they do all of these things. But the reality of it today is that we often seek spiritual things that aren't God. In America, there's a rise in New Age movement, in mysticism. Even within the church, sometimes there will be individuals that will uh, teach you New Age practices veiled in Christian things. So be very careful about these kinds of meditations and contemplative prayer and anything that tells you that you're to worship God by emptying your mind or emptying yourself. Red flags should pop up. Because Christian worship is not an emptying of oneself. It is a filling of one with the Holy Spirit, a filling of one with the Word of God, a filling of one with faith in Jesus Christ. So the same thing is true. Our world is full of people trying to use God for his own glory. Let me get in more trouble. I already opened the, the can. Here we go. I love celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I hate cultural Easter. I, I, I mean, think about this. Do you really think that the companies, the corporations that are pushing godless ideologies and agendas in our culture and through our government right now really, really are caring about Christ so that they're making a special edition uh, uh, Easter bunny or a special edition cross candy? Here's what Easter means for our culture. I, I looked this up. Easter equates to $3 billion in candy sales, $3 billion in clothing sales, $6 billion in grocery sales. That's 12 billion reasons for people to use God for their own glory. And yet, statistically, the average family spends more for Easter novelties every year while Easter religious attendance is dropping sharply. Our culture is full of this. Now, if you bring me a Cadbury egg, I'm probably going to eat it, okay? <laughs> but again, these are things that we should think about. Don't become a cultural Christian. We want to glorify God in all that we do. That's the second point. So uh, a false 
faith, what we see is those that would glorify God for their own doing. That's the sons of Sceva. The second is a faith that seeks to be used by God. And Paul is the example here. Paul is the example here. All that Paul does seeks to glorify God. Paul will endure so many things so that the gospel will be preached and that God will be glorified and people will be strengthened and the church will be built up. God, Paul dedicates his life to the glory of God. And in this text, there are four things that I want you to see that mark an individual who seeks to live for the glory of God. The first is this. They're marked by personal integrity. They're marked by personal integrity. While the Jewish exorcists were using spiritual power for financial gain, Paul is making tents. Paul's making tents. In chapter 20, verse 34, Paul talks about the fact that the whole time that he was in Ephesus, he was working with his hands. He was making tents, as we saw back earlier in Acts, when, when, Paul, was in, uh, when, when Paul was just before, in the previous chapter, Paul was making tents. With Aquila and Aprilia, uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, he's making tents. Here he's making tents. In fact, the very things that the people are using, that it says these, these, uh, these handkerchiefs and these aprons, what they are are Paul's sweat rags. That, 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 that's the, in the Greek, it means the rag for sweat. So they're taking Paul's bandana... And Paul's work apron. And I guess at night when he leaves the shop, somebody's coming in and stealing them because Paul can't get to them. So he's, they're taking that and they're, and they're handing it. And God is working through the faith of somebody that, that just says, I can't get Paul here, but take this. <laughs> Paul's got to be walking in every day going, where are these things going? Am I going crazy, right? I can't find any of my tools in my workshop. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. But that, that's what it is. I mean, this is not Paul praying over a magic handkerchief and then sending it in the handkerchief being magic. What, what's going on here is that God is, is blessing through the efforts of Paul because he is so dedicated to the glory of God. His preaching is, is so pure and so clear and his life is, is so marked by personal integrity, that God is working incredibly through him. Even the demons recognize Paul. Even the demons recognize the, the preaching and the purity and the integrity of Paul. They say, Jesus we know, Paul we've heard of. There's nothing magic about the bandanas. Again, it is... It is God blessing because of the dedicated ministry of Paul that God is doing incredible things through him. Paul's not seeking for those incredible things. Paul is just diligently doing whatever he can to preach and proclaim the gospel to people. And God is using that. God is using that. Paul is in a much lesser position than these faith healers. Do you realize that? These guys are, are probably living large, traveling around, getting all kinds of love offerings and, and fees for their services. And yet Paul is laboring that he might preach the gospel without hindrance, that he might not look like such a huckster as those individuals that are coming through town. And God is blessing him. There's a good reminder here. Do what God has called you to do. 
And God will bless your hands. He will bless your work. If you live in such a way that you seek to glorify God in all that you do, Charles Spurgeon used to say, even a street sweeper can glorify God like a preacher. That God will, will honor what we do, whatever it is that we're called to do, when we do such, where we do all things to the glory of God. The second thing that we see here is genuine faith that seeks to honor God is marked by personal repentance. It's marked by personal repentance. Here I want to focus on the, the Ephesian people. It, it seems as though they had in, this group had in some way trusted Christ, but they hadn't yet really followed Christ. It, it seems in some way they had come to, to receive the, the message but they have yet to really say, I'm going to follow Jesus with everything. Why do I say that? Well, because they still had their magic books. They still had their spiritual thing. They still had these things that they believed in, and they were just trying to add Jesus to it. There's a lot of people that think that they can just add Jesus to their life already. They can just add Jesus to everything that's working good. And, and, and I'm sorry, but there are some preachers who falsely say Basically, all you got to do is add a little bit of Jesus and he'll make you better at what you're already doing. That's not the gospel. The gospel message is you are a sinner. And because of your sin, God's wrath is upon you. And the only way to be saved from your sin, the only way for salvation from what is happening is to trust in Jesus Christ who, who was sent by the Father, the Son of God, who lived a perfect life, who went to the cross. And on that cross, on Good Friday that we'll celebrate this week, Jesus took your sin upon himself and God punished that sin that you might receive Christ's righteousness, that you might be forgiven. That's the gospel. How do we connect to it? Repent of your sins and trust in Christ and follow him as Lord. See, these people struggled to do this. But God used even, even these uh, itinerant evangelists in this hilarious scenario of a demon beating them and pulling their clothes off and then running out of the house naked. I just... <laughs> do you ever read the Bible and just start laughing out loud? <laughs> The reaction here is this. All the people realized the true power of God. The true power of the name of Jesus and who he is. And so look at the repentance in their life. Verses 18 and 19 says that they, that they, they came and publicly confessed and disclosed their practices. They brought their magic books and they burned them. And then it's very interesting because Luke says that they, they counted how many they burned. They counted how much they got rid of, of this wicked, evil stuff there in Ephesus. And it said that there was 5,000 silver pieces. A silver piece here is, is probably a day's work for a man. And so if we put that at an average rate of $20 an hour, basically what they're doing is, is they burned $8 million worth of magic books. Do you, see the, do you see the juxtaposition here? 
You see these false teachers coming trying to make money off of these people. And you see that through the incident, their hearts are transformed. They trust in Jesus to such, a, to such an amount that $8 million means nothing. They're not going to sell these books and let somebody else be deceived by them. They're going to get rid of them and get them out of their life because they've trusted in Jesus. Now, you might not have magic books that you're holding on to. But do you have something that you're holding on to that you're not willing to give up? follow Jesus? Maybe it's of great value. Maybe it's something of importance. Maybe it's something you consider your cultural heritage, your, your family tradition. It's Jesus, Lord. What does it look like to make Jesus Lord of your life? For them, this is what they needed to do. It's marked by personal humility. Uh, look at this. Paul didn't seek to make a name for himself. You've got to love this. Paul had all the spiritual power, and yet Paul isn't the one putting himself on billboards and, and Paul isn't the one setting a marketing campaign. Paul isn't the one that, that, that comes into town with a light show and all kinds of uh, flashy things to come and hear Paul. Paul humbly comes in. He begins preaching in the synagogue. If they won't hear him, he'll go look for the believing Jews. If they won't hear, or the believing Greeks, if, he won't, if they won't hear him, he'll go to anybody and everybody in the marketplace and tell them about Jesus. And if he's got to build tents, to be able to do it, he'll build tents to be able to do it. You see the incredible humility of such a man who God had used? Such should mark our life as well. We're living to make Jesus Lord, not ourselves. And last, it's marked by personal testimony. It's marked by a personal testimony. Again, Paul didn't make himself Huge. Paul didn't try to uh, go around and promote himself that it might promote Jesus. This is the lie of our culture today. The lie of our culture today for, for ministers is this. You've got to build a platform. You've got to build a platform so that Jesus can, can use you more. So you've got to do something that gets your name out, that you become in, in some way viral, and people will know about you and know about your name so that you can use, be used by Jesus more. And so to do that, a lot of young men are motivated to, to use the gimmicks of the world, to use the things of the world that they might, that they think that they might promote themselves, that one day they'll make more of Jesus. Do you know what usually happens to those individuals? They make more of themselves and they walk away from Jesus. Here Paul expresses again humility. Here the people express humility. We see them going and burning their books and trusting in Christ. And Paul didn't build a ministry on his miracles. Sometimes the miracles worked. Sometimes the miracles didn't work. What we'll see in the next passage is that the silversmiths there in town, they're quite mad at Paul. <laughs> All the miracles in the world didn't convince them they want to kill Paul because he's hurting their pocketbooks. Why we're called, not for miracles, we're called to preach the gospel. And here's the thing, when we preach the gospel, we see lots of miracles. Because God works through those. And the main way that we see is people be born again. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. So, are you living 
To glorify God, or are you living to use God for your glory? Have you truly uh, trusted in Christ? Or have you found that Jesus makes a good way to uh, convince people to buy cars from you? You know, you put the Christian fish on your business card, and man, there's a captive audience right there. They'll choose you. Jesus, your magic genie, do you think you can just rub it a little bit and she'll get what you want? Or have you dedicated your life to follow Christ? You see, there is a difference between the two. There's a difference. Friends, I want to tell you today, I don't know where you are, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you at this moment could leave behind your pursuit of yourself. You, at this moment, can leave behind being your own Lord and trust in Jesus Christ. And he will save you. You call out in repentance and faith. Christ has saved you. For some of you, perhaps, you need to repent. You know the Lord, but you haven't lived, been living like you have lived. Perhaps for some of you, there's some things that you know you need to get rid of in your life, like the Ephesians had to that you can follow the Lord. Things that, that have held you back. Things that have kept you from, from serving the Lord. But as we close, I, I, if you are a believer, this is the prayer that I want you to pray. Lord, I want to glorify you in my 